Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and a new name. Still the same hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 400. So this episode is going to be kind of a weird episode because we're not going to be talking about current things besides what is... Oh, no, I take it back. We're talking about the new things that's happening next week. Yeah, yeah, just but but a little bit different than our normal episodes. Yeah, well, I, when I say current things, I'm not really any industry news or personal projects, even though we're going to cover projects in the past, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit of reflection. I mean, we've made it all the way to 400 episodes. Yeah, yeah. We also had our Macrofab anniversary. It's been 10 years. We had a big party at St. Arnold's Brewery here in Houston. We had everyone in from out of town, all our remote people, that kind of stuff. So everyone had a blast. It's kind of weird, 10 years. You know how most startups don't really last past like year three? Mm-hmm. And, well, we're at 10. <laughs> was there a lot of uh, a lot of fun reflection and stories there? Yeah, yeah. There was. Uh, there's a video online on our YouTube channel with, I don't know if it's like the full version. So like, I know there's one that's like three or so mittens long that they... Uh, put on youtube that uh, there's some like words from you know church and i and that kind of stuff on it but then they they had a 10 minute cut one that they showed at the uh anniversary and it's pretty good because i go on a rant about tasty chips (laughs) during my interview classic (laughs) Um, pictures of the old hutchins garage basically yeah yeah some of that i do want to get like chris church on and we can talk about like the beginnings of macrofab because i think that'd be really cool but this is the podcast so what's happening next week for episode 401 we are rebranding the podcast if y'all have noticed over the past whole year we've been slowly changing the formatting of the podcast of how we kind of bring up topics and what kind of topics we bring up Slowly. So the content is going to be exactly the same what we are doing now because we've already done that change. But now we are we have a new name. It's going to be called Circuit Break. Maybe put like the reverb that we're doing in the the intro. <laughs> in the intro, the intro audio. on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a new logo, which is great because it's actually designed by like artists and not me with paint. So that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, so it's gonna be the same show. With guests, deep dives and news, personal project discussions, and that kind of stuff. And then also between episode 400, which this one comes out, and 401, we're going to be launching our discussion hub for the podcast. It's like Circuit Break community associated with the Macrofab website. So during that time period, we will basically shut down Slack. We'll get rid of the invites to Slack, the open invites that we have for it, and then basically mothball it and then... I have like the email list of everyone that signed up for the Slack. And I'm just going to blast all of them with like, hey, here's the new community. Join us if you want or else. <laughs> or <laughs> so, else. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we'll shutter. We'll, we'll probably take two weeks to shutter it because we'll put like a post, a pin post of like, this is now dead. Yeah, it's going away. It's going away. And then after two weeks, we'll just like, we'll just delete it. And out there, there's nothing of loss because we only have three months of history. So it's 
like we've had that Slack channel for like five years now, and we only can see the last three months of it. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, the new community will have a lot of places for people to chat, a lot of places for people to hang, but a lot of places for people to put their projects and actually keep archives of them. And that's, yeah. we, we've talked about that for a long time, having a place for people to collaborate. And we kind of just never really had that. So this is a move towards those kinds of things. Yes. And the great thing about it too, is this is also on the uh, New Year's resolution for 23 list was for me to get this community up and running. And we are now halfway through October and got it. Got done. It, hey, <laughs> checkbox. Your granularity is within a year. So check. You did it. Yeah, did it. So that's what's happening the week after this podcast comes out. Hopefully everyone sticks around when we change names. I think the like all the podcast apps and stuff like that will still work. It's still going to be on the website. It'll just be under Circuit Break Podcast. So, yeah, I'm actually really excited for the new name. It probably took way too long for us to actually come up with a real name for the podcast instead of just Macrofab Engineering Podcast. How creative is that one? It took 400 episodes. <laughs> yeah, 400 episodes. Okay. So I kind of want to take this episode to kind of just talk about the podcast in general and just kind of reflect on all the stuff we've done over 400, 400 episodes. Sounds so much. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound, but it is a lot so much. It is a lot. I wish I actually came out with some stats of like how many hours we record and stuff, but... I'm not prepared like that. Well, I mean, um, we try to average an hour, so 400 hours. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, that, no, because you got to throw the Star Wars episodes in there. God, those go. We've okay. So let's just start with those real quick. The Star Wars episodes. We haven't had a Star Wars episode that I think is less than three hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. And we've had multiple Star Wars episodes where we're just like, we have to stop. We could yeah. just keep going, but like. We, we just have to be like, okay, done. We're, we're done with this. Yeah, the Star Wars episodes, I'm wondering, we were streaming a bit this summer. That was probably one of the biggest failures we've ever tried to do on this podcast was the uh, live stream. It actually started off pretty good. We had like eight to nine people would show up and we would stream it. on. We were streaming it on Twitch for a while. Mm -hmm. It actually worked pretty well. Except we weren't recording the actual stream, like the, the video was not being recorded and we didn't really have the the time or budget or anything like that to do anything like post-processing on that stuff and uh we ended up switching over to youtube to stream there because youtube can just publish the live stream automatically right when you were done so it was very you know raw unedited but at least it was recorded for people to watch and no one, no one transferred over. Like, I think we had like at tops, like three people watching on YouTube. There was one episode, the episode that we had um, inheritance machining on. Yes. We had, we had some ridiculous number. I don't remember, but it was, it was like a hundred and something people yeah. uh, in there. And that was entirely the guests yeah, audience entirely coming guests. to that. Cause we, we really, really pushed hard on that one for weeks to see if we could get a following and then we we tried to see like okay so if we get a bunch of people in will they stick will will a few of them and the answer was just no <laughs> not no, at all none of them stuck around <laughs> which is okay that was it was a fun experiment yeah yeah it was only a couple weeks after that and we decided to just drop the live streaming it was also becoming really hard to get guests to come onto the podcast 
because the moment you said, "Hey, we live stream it," they're like, eh, "Nope, I'm done. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not live streaming an interview." Basically, right? That's understandable, though. So we stopped doing that. The moment we stopped doing the live streaming, we now have like a guest like every other week. <laughs> so yeah, it's easier. Yeah. Hey, it was an experiment. I really wish that we were able to make that work, uh, but it's just I think there's just too much competition, and we have we have the faces for radio. So <laughs> thanks. Oh, so. Star Wars. What I'd like to try to do for the Star Wars episode is actually live stream it and just live stream the Star Wars one. Because the thing is, if we finish after like three or four hours of recording audio is stop and then like keep talking, just live streaming. See if, we, if anyone's still around. The answer is going to be no, but, you know, got to try. You it. never know. You never know. We, we had a few regulars that would hang around and, and chat. I remember a handful of times sticking around after. Well, okay. And, and something about the recording, the way we do this, especially when we were live streaming, usually the hour that we record is one hour, but Parker and I are talking for upwards of an hour and a half before, and even sometimes an hour after. And so, so recording night is three or four hours, even though we're putting out one hour of content or, or whatever. And a lot of times we'd have people hang out with us that whole time. So yeah, I think that would be fun with Star Wars too. Yeah, that was the great thing about live streaming the podcast was we could record the pregame and postgame show right. of the podcast. And because a lot of times, like honestly, the pregame is even funnier than the actual episode that comes out. How many times has it been where we get to the point where we're like, dang, we actually have to start recording. We should have just been recording this entire time because the material we were just talking about was better than what we're going to say in the real episode. Yeah, I, I've been getting better at, oh, we have, I won't say just we, uh, me, you and I have been getting a lot better at just pressing record and just getting it going. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, Experiment that didn't really work out. But so how did we start this podcast? This this pile of us just talking into two microphones. We were at the, not the original, original MacFab, but the, the building after. I was, I was employee number nine at the fab. And not terribly long after I started, Chris Church, CEO at the time, uh, came to us and Gosh, if I remember right, he was asking just for ideas on reaching engineers effectively because the MacFab looked a lot different at that time and its goals were a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot different than they are now. A lot different, yeah. And one of the things was, what's one of the best ways to reach engineers is through engineers themselves. So, so Parker and I, I don't remember, we were just brainstorming and we said, hey, why don't we record a few episodes and see if something sticks? We'll throw some spaghetti at the wall. And so we, gosh, we met in your kitchen mm -hmm. and recorded, was it two episodes that night or was it just one? We recorded one. Oh, we recorded one, but we recorded it twice because the first one was God awful. And the second one was absolutely horrible, but we kept the second one and actually yeah. published that. <laughs> I learned my lesson really fast of don't pre-write jokes. Oh yeah. No, that was mm, not good. Yeah, they're, they're, they're bad. Um, <laughs> the first episode's pretty rough. I, I would say the first, like, five or six are pretty rough. Yeah. And we did the editing ourselves. When did we start recording with Josh? 
I think it was within the first 20 episodes. Yeah. Because we, I don't remember who our first guest was. It might have been Dustin at work. I think it was Dustin at work. Yeah. I think it was Dustin. And I very distinctly remember recording that at the Yale Street Studios with, with Josh. It could have also been Octavo Studios. It was one of those two. Because we, uh, we actually recorded that at both of those at the Yale Street. And that's when Josh was doing it for us. Mm-hmm. We picked up our, our editor pretty quick. And, and actually, you know, come to think about it, the genesis of how the whole podcast came about, we sort of just started doing it and then didn't stop. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, and that's sort of how it just like, that's how it stuck in a way. Yeah, it started. We just started and then we just kept rolling. And at the beginning, it, we were just pouring everything, every like after work stuff into it. And so it didn't really take time away from us working at the fab. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how we sold it at the beginning. It's just like, hey, we will do this in off time. Yeah. And uh, we kept doing it. And that worked out. And then it eventually got rolled up into work, Yeah, which was nice. I think that was around like episode like 20 or something like that, where we could leave basically an hour early to get to the recording studio on the day we were recording. I think we were recording on Wednesdays at that time to get to the recording studio. Which was, was kind of funny because we would leave early, but then you just sit in traffic. So it's still after work, but yeah, you got a little bit of, yeah, you still get a little extra time. So after we recorded at Yale Street studio for a while, and then we moved it to the bomb shelter with Josh. Right. It was the bomb shelter for the post office, the big post office here in Houston, Texas. And we did that for a while. And then Hurricane Harvey happened. Man, we put a lot of effort into that recording studio. That place was so cool. That that was like Steve and I worked our asses off on like helping Josh too. Josh was we worked our asses off trying to make that place like a pretty cool place to do recordings and stuff. We ran all the electrical in that place. We helped do AC work. We did, oh man, we did all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, people probably heard us talk about the bomb shelter for a while. It's a long story, but basically I knew the family that owned the post office downtown in Houston. And I connected that family with our editor, Josh. And it just so worked out that the son of the family that owned the post office was a big music head. And our editor was a big music head. And they, they worked out a deal where, Josh could put his studio in the place. Well, the thing is the bomb shelter was a, it was literally a bomb shelter for the post office, but the post office was multiple stories high and it had parking on the roof actually. And so cars could drive up this curved ramp to get onto the roof. Well, the bomb shelter was located underneath that curved place. So, so cars would be driving over top of the, the bomb shelter. The thing that was so cool about it for a recording studio is the fact that there were no two walls, including the ceiling, that were uh, parallel to each other. All The entire room was curved, and the floor and ceiling was also curved. So it had very unique acoustics, and it prevented standing waves in the room. And so with a little bit of treatment, that room was actually really fantastic to record in, you know, of all types. So it was kind of a dream for a, for a music dude. And it was a, a, a really unique spot to be. Yeah, you would park in the parking lot and then go through the loading docks and then down some really sketchy stairs for like two stories. And then you'd be in the bomb shelter. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, but, but you know, lesson learned. Places that are below sea level <laughs> in Houston <laughs> are not great when a, a hundred year hurricane comes through. Yeah, so Hurricane Harvey showed up and it wasn't actually the hurricane itself. So underneath the bomb shelter is the cistern for the entire building. Yeah. And so everything drains into it. And then then they have big diesel generators and pumps to pump the water out. And those fired up and ran. I think they ran for like halfway through Hurricane Harvey and then they ran out of diesel and then it flooded. Yeah. And, and by flooded, we're not talking like an inch on the floor. We're talking like five feet. Yeah, it was like five feet of sludge that was down there. Yeah. And so it was kind of like it became just a biohazard. Yeah, the place was entirely ruined. Yeah, I'm just glad Josh got most of his stuff out of there before it went really bad. Yeah, I think he did lose some equipment, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as bad as uh, he, he got lucky because he was there late at night when the hurricane really started coming through. He didn't go home because if he went home and slept, it, it, like everything would just be demolished. Yeah. And uh, he was there and he stayed up all night long hauling gear up to safety. Up those two flights of yeah uh, sketchy stairs. That must have been a horrible night. Because he has those giant like audio racks. And I'm like, I don't know how he got those in there. Luckily, he had, I think there were two other people that were there and they just muscled Helped everything up. up. Uh, but they did lose some equipment. He had a piano that was just like the shell of the piano it didn't have the strings or anything or it didn't even have the keys anymore and he had converted it into like a desk basically for his recording studio and originally like at the at the yale street place it, he still had it but it was like on like cinder blocks and for this place we fabricated a frame that he could adjust the height on it and unfortunately, that I think that piano got destroyed. I'm pretty sure that got left behind. Yeah, because I don't think there's any way like that thing was heavy because it still had like the frame in it, right? Yeah, full of strings. And I have no idea how one you got that thing in there. Or I think there was like a loading door area, but like you open it up and it was just a sheer drop off into the bomb shelter. <laughs> <laughs> And so I guess you could like rig a crane to get stuff in that way. But yeah, that was a shame because we did that. I think we recorded in there for it wasn't even a year before uh, Hurricane Harvey showed up because we had a lot of plans. Like we wanted to build this. Uh, oh, a diffuser. Yeah, we wanted to build a diffuser. And uh, there was one area that was like had a door you can go into. And was, that was for like playing drums and stuff. And so we wanted to build a diffuser in there to help really dampen the, the drums. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that, that place, that place was just fun to hang out in. We used to go there yeah, and play video was, games, man. It was, yeah, it was great. And on top of that, it was on the way home from work too. So you could just swing by. Yes. It was on the way home for both of us. Yeah. Whereas Yale street was like, we had to go out of our way to go to, right. This was on the way home and it was much closer. Cause like we can get there in like five minutes. Yeah. So you, we would leave work an hour early, get there, and then uh, start setting up to do the recording. Hmm. Yeah, I like that place a lot. Well, then after that, Josh lost his ability to do the podcast for a while. Right. And so we did the recordings in our warehouse. I think we did that for like six to eight months. Yeah, in the engineering department. Did that way. Yeah, engineering department on that big wooden desk that I built. Yeah, you welded up that whole desk, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was a big four foot by eight foot. This is a sheet of plywood on top. Is that still hanging around somewhere? That is in shipping, yeah. They actually want me to build two more of those. 
Really? Yeah. So I'm going to build, I got to get them a quote actually to, so they can basically pay me to build them. <laughs> it's not a insignificant amount of work. No, it's, it's not a lot of, it's actually not a lot of work. It's a lot of, it's actually a lot of money now. Cause I built those out of like scrap box tubing basically. And I don't have any scrap box tubing anymore. And so I have to go buy all that steel now. I mean, you, you took the time to spray paint it and everything and, and make it look nice. Like it was, it was a good, yeah, it's like a, it's a weekend. Uh, I feel like it was more than that. I mean, you're the one who built it, you know, I think I spent all like Saturday welding it. And then Sunday was grinding the welds. I needed to grind and then painting. Yeah. And then Monday I brought it to work. The problem is I, I wonder if I could build two in a weekend. Cause I am a lot better at welding now. Yeah. And a lot better at grinding my welds. <laughs> You're probably also better at not needing to grind your welds. Yeah, that's true. Because if I can lay the welds flatter on like the outside corners, mainly I ground them just so that, you know, there's nothing raised that you can get, you know, caught on. Right. But if I can make a really smooth weld, then I won't have to grind it. But yeah. So after eight months, we started recording. We started doing it remotely because you moved up to Denver. Mm -hmm. And then we started recording it remotely with it took us like five different programs to finally settle on one. And then we had Josh editing the uh, podcast again. And oh, that's, that's right. That's the yeah. format you hear now. Well, we now have a different editor. Right. Because we have a an agency studio called, yeah, agency called Lower Street that's helping us do the producing and editing now. And I say producing, it's more of they come up with ideas to help us like make this podcast better. Yeah, they're also doing a great job helping out with... Um with getting guests and doing communication and things like that. Yeah. They handle a lot of our guest communication, which makes it a lot easier to get guests on the show, doing all the scheduling and that kind of stuff. It's basically freed up Steven and I to come up with even stupider ideas. <laughs> we were running out of time to come up with dumb ideas. At, at one point. Yeah. Cause how much logistics <laughs> it was taking to run this thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's the shape of the podcast. That was like the history, I guess. Well, and but we never. And now we're called Circuit Break, so. And now we're called Circuit Break. That's that's the the newest thing. I didn't think we'd get past episode twenty, especially after the first like four or five were really awful, and uh, I always thought like the board members would just pull the plug immediately on it, but no. Uh, apparently, all the feedback we get is keep up the good work and keep it going, and uh, try to grow it. So that's what we're doing. I'm not gonna say that that doing a this podcast is easy on anyone or that it has been easy. I never, like if you ask me, you know, at the, when I first started, uh, the, at Macrofab, if, if we'd be at 400 episodes, I would have laughed at you and like, really? We'd, we'd do a podcast and get to 400 episodes. Yeah. I would, I would have said no, but, uh, yeah, surprisingly here we are. I'm hoping in the future we can do more like on site visits. Yeah. To like Mauser, DigiKey, that kind of stuff. Or maybe at events. I've been trying to do that at like DEF CON. And that kind of worked this year. Mainly because the people I was talking to weren't completely wasted. So that was good. <laughs> that that usually helps, right? That usually helps to keep everything on track. <laughs> so. so that's the history of the podcast. Projects that we've finished in 400 episodes. And then I'm going to throw out there the projects that are in the Shadow Realm and will never probably ever finish. Mm, yep. Yep, there's that one's full. Yeah, that one. <laughs> the shadow realm is full. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> bursting at the seams. 
So the big one that finished, I think you have most of the finished projects. You have your brewery. The brewery. Yep. Yep. The CNC. Correct. Which is more recent. The CNC is done. Yeah. No, wait. Did you finish the (laughs) e-stops? I'm going to say sure. (laughs) Sure. I'm going to say sure because on the CNC, there is a software e-stop button that if you press it on the computer screen, it will stop the machine. So I will say yes to that. Okay. The Pinotaur is a big one that I finished. Right. Yeah. And actually making that a, a product. It was a product for a while. That's true. Yeah. You actually sold that. I guess technically it is, except I, right now I don't really have any buyers for it. So yeah. I kind of abandoned pinball. So, you know, I can think of two other projects that you finished, like you full on started, talked about them, finished them in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, first one was your, the, the tiger pool cleaner thing. Like, oh yeah. 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 That thing, that thing. Good job. You actually did it. <laughs> It's still, you know, I have an update on that. Oh, okay. Is it, is it working? So my dad was taking it out of his pool last weekend and the handle broke. Oh, so, and so he glued it back together. So it's, it's still running by the way. He, he just glued it all back together and slapped some, uh, gorilla tape on it. And he's like, ah, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that that thing is so far past its life expectancy that the plastic is degrading from the UV and chlorine environment it's in. Hey, as long as it's functional, right? It still works. He's he, my dad's like this thing is he, it's on its like tenth set of filters now. Wow, because like you get a couple years out of the filter because you take the filters out and clean them out, right. and put it back in. So it's like on its tenth set of filters. It runs great. My dad doesn't have any complaints. It's gonna be. We're gonna need to have like a Viking funeral for that thing when it finally. Does just absolutely not you come just, back. Wait, life. wait, just set it in the ocean and it just drives out into the ocean. <laughs> it just drives out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Here's another project that you started, talked about, and finished the golf cart conversion. Oh, yeah, the golf cart project. Yeah. I forgot we talked about that on the podcast. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny? All these projects <laughs> that I've completed are for like my parents or other people. It's never like my project. There's a different kind of motivation when you're doing it for someone other than yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. So the golf cart was a complete frame off rebuild of my parents. I think it was a 20, 2004 EasyGo TXT golf cart. And the, the frame had completely rusted away to like crumbs. The front suspension wasn't even really attached to the frame anymore. It was just like it was attached to like the plastic bumper, basically. And put a new frame on it, welded in reinforcements to the frame so they wouldn't crack because like they're notorious for cracking in the areas that my parents just once cracked. So welded in uh, gussets and then like painted it with really nice paint. I converted it with a new, uh, I went lithium batteries on it. And then I went from 36 volts to 48 volts for the drive voltage, put a new motor controller in it. And that thing goes like 36 miles an hour. It is scary to drive that fast in a golf cart. What is that? Is, was it called turbo mode? There was something on the top end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got um, normal mode. And then uh, there's basically if you flip the seat up, there's a key that you can turn it into different configurations for the motor. Normal mode still goes like 30, but you can put it in what I call Kubi cruise mode. <laughs> right. And that like that dials it back down to like a normal golf cart where like the throttle's not twitchy. It like caps at like 19 miles an hour. It's perfect for like, you got your booze and you're going to go to see the sunset and you're hearing Margaritaville on the radio. <laughs> and that's, that's that setting. 
Yeah, yeah. And then the other setting's ludicrous mode. Ludicrous, that's what it was. Yeah. And that is, the top end of that is like 36. And it is a death trap at that speed. Well, I mean, you crashed it into a curb, didn't you? Yeah, I crashed it. Well, that wasn't me crashing it in the curb. I, we had a mechanical failure that caused it to crash into a curb. Next time you get in a car wreck, tell the cop that. It wasn't my fault. It was the car's fault. <laughs> well, most cars, the steering shaft doesn't randomly decouple on you. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun one to, uh, to hear, but I, that was a handful of months, I think. Yeah, I think that was about three months long. Yeah. I think I started that in like a December and then finished it in February. So one project that... I started right after I moved up to Denver. Actually, no, I didn't start. I started it down in Houston and I finished it and I still use it to today is the macro amp that was based off of the Korg new tubes that is still oh, yeah. sitting. Uh, it actually sits right next to my CNC. In fact, it, above my CNC are the speakers that I have that plugged into. And that's what I jam music on in, uh, in my basement. And that thing still runs strong. It's completely covered in sawdust, but it it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> Works great. You know, on projects that were in the shadow realm, yeah. the biggest one is the super simple power supply, the SSPS. Yeah, that one has been banished. Yeah, that's banished. I don't think it would be awesome to resurrect it. I think the scope on it ended up being way too crazy to being a side project, basically. Look, every time we've talked about the SSPS, we've mentioned this, but I think it's important to note that the very last time we touched the SSPS, it was working. It did like work. Like, we had it doing the thing it was supposed to do. So, like, the circuits we developed, uh, I developed the whole analog, the regulator side, and Parker developed yeah. the digital side. We actually had it accepting information, sending it over to the regulators, and outputting the voltage we were looking for. Yep. But... I don't remember exactly what happened, but at that time we were told to shelve that because we had some other projects to do. Cause, cause that was back in the day when some of our like actual work day was allotted to Macrofat or the engineering, sorry, the podcast projects. We were, we were allowed to do some of those in, in, uh, during our work day. And then that got axed and that was part of the SSPS and why it got shelved. Yep. And then that's why it got kind of got put at the, the, in the back burner because if we wanted to get that out, we Parker and I would have had to do that on our free time. And that was, I don't know. It was just difficult. And we were already working on our own personal projects that we were also talking about on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of just got banished. The other one that's got banished, this one I'm really annoyed about too, was the pedal development project. It was the breadboards. Yeah, he's got it right there. Actually, yeah. I, I was planning on sending you some pictures this weekend. And the reason why I'm, I'm actually holding it up right now. So I'm doing a project with someone here in Denver that is a pedal. Uh, and, and we're, we're doing some prototyping and I bought all the parts to do it. And to this weekend, I'm planning on building a pedal on the FX dev board because I know what the power of this thing is for. Basically, we've designed this thing, the schematic. We've actually already built one prototype, but we want to make some some rapid changes to it. So I told this guy, let me build it on my dev board and we can just do some real quick idea changes. And like, I'm planning on using the FX dev board like for its original intent. And uh, I've actually used this multiple times and not just for audio projects, for, for other things. It's a great dev board. This thing is awesome. Yeah. 
it, it's great. And we developed that. And then um, I'm not going to blame anyone at Macrofat for it, but it was one of those we just didn't really get any support because we actually even started a crowdsource. It wasn't a kickstart. It was a crowd supply for it. Crowd supply. That's what it was. And like. it just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And we built one full on prototype that was fully functional. It had a. It's in my hand right now. Yeah, it had a, a metal case that would go over it and protect your, your circuit. So you could actually, like, use it live. I mean, that'd be kind of sketchy if you spilt anything on it because it was, like, all open still. But it had a metal case, and, like, the stop pedal switch was, like, exposed. And then all the knobs and stuff were, you could adjust them. But funny enough is it was only, like, three or four years later after that project that three or four other companies started making that product. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I'm on the website right now. If you go over to pedalpcb.com and you type in proto board, it's this. It is it is my project. Now, they modified it fairly heavily. Now, I shouldn't say fairly heavily. They modified it and got rid of a lot of the features that I put on this board, but it is absolutely obviously my board it's the same layout yeah it is it is obviously the board and and that's just the thing like i originally designed this board as an open source project so yeah sure people can take and go do stuff with it a lot of the spirit of my original design was removed from this because basically i'm uh, look i'm not crapping on on their board i think it's great but basically they double-sided taped a few breadboards to a PCB, which is absolutely not what I was going for with this because these breadboards Parker had 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 actually had them developed and custom made before this project. And the the breadboards on this are actually soldered to the PCB. So you have access to the actual terminals on them. And I did a lot of really cool, interesting stuff with it to give the designer access to the breadboards themselves which I've never seen a development board do that. And it was, ah, it was awesome. Yeah. I wonder if, if we have people that would contact us and say that we actually had people saying like, did this go anywhere, et cetera. Oh, multiple times. Yeah. I think, I think we should offer it as a kit, have like a bomb, but then offer like the enclosure, the lid basically, and the breadboards and then the PCB. Because those are like the three hardest things to source for it. The breadboards would be the absolute hardest part because they're custom. Yeah, they're custom. And so... I mean, the PCB is too, but that's that's easy nowadays. Yeah. But if we like made that, if you bought it, you got like the bomb. And make it still open source, right? It's still open source. Where like you get the enclosure. You can buy the enclosure that's like, you know, powder coated and silk screened and all that nice stuff. And then you get the PCB, the back plate, and then the, the custom proto boards inside of it i don't know if people would buy that but it would be retribution for that retribution you know what makes me feel good about it at the end of the day it's years later and i i still like when i have an idea i turn to it and and say like i can do it on this and it's going to be great i know it's going to be great so yeah i think the biggest shame about this is because of the the way that those boards connect to the PCB, this could have been a platform for so many other dev boards that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. That could have set, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back with this, but it could have set a new standard for how dev boards interact with other circuitry yeah. on, on boards. And I, I really wish Macrofab was able to set the standard on that, but Hey, you know, things don't always work out. Yeah. 
at that time, Macrofab was really pivoting its business model. Yeah. Uh, from from basically makers to more OEM based. Right. And that project basically was just caught up in the middle of that. And so it just kind of went. It's, I think it was just an exposure problem because we do get like emails still today, five years later, people Is asking, this going like, hey, on? can I buy one? Yeah. So actually, you know, okay, so maybe we'll put together a kit. I have since then, I have still not seen a breadboard that is solderable. Yeah. I, I wish there's a couple out there. Are there really? Okay. Uh, yeah. Because if there was an off the shelf solution, it would be cool to revamp this in for some other applications. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was a shadow realm one. It was shadow realm. Not because of us though. Like there's other yeah, projects that we shadow realmed because we just abandoned them or, or whatever. But uh, yeah. this one wasn't because of us. So what more recently shadow realmed is, uh, the cat feeder unreminder. Yeah, that one's been uh, been a hot minute. So that one got all the way to the schematic is done. The board layout is done, I think. I don't know if I finished that or not. I designed like the product, like the actual build box part of it is done. And I never ordered PCBs to. And I, I no, I built it all on a proto board. It's actually still running right behind me on my electronics bench. It's still running today. Hmm. So doing what it should be doing, which is every 23 hours, it turns on the LED. <laughs> and then you can press a button and it resets it. Perfect. The problem is the reason I was building it got resolved. So the, the problem was two people basically feeding my cat at the same time. My cat was getting fat. Well, my dad retired <laughs> and he moved down to Galveston, so he's not in the house anymore. Oh, <laughs> so okay. there's only one person that can feed the cat now, which is me. And, and you don't need to be unreminded. I'm hoping I'm not forgetting not to feed the cat twice. So that, that got banished just from the the reason that it existed that got resolved. Now, I learned a lot from low power design and super caps. And like the biggest problem with super caps is they like to just self drain. That's like actually the biggest problem with them. Hmm. Yeah. So that was a really fun project for doing low power. Maybe I will try to do another low power project using what I learned, but I have to have another like goal, I guess. I just don't like doing, you know, it's like you too. We don't like doing stuff when we don't have like an end goal in mind. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got to have an end goal and something that's different now about the way I approach things than say the beginning of the podcast is I'm always trying to think of not necessarily what's cool, but how does this relate to moving the ball forward for me? Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's a slow process, but because I'm trying to start my business, my uh, my amplifier business, I'm always trying to gear things towards that as much as possible. But I also don't want to sit there and just talk about that every single time on the podcast. And I guarantee you, you the listener, don't want to hear that every single time. So it gets it gets kind of difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a quick search now because you got me all interested, and I'm I'm just not seeing many solderable breadboard stuff. There's a, there's a little bit, yeah, but it's definitely more than zero, which is what it was when we started that project. Yeah, the FX dev board. So there's much more projects that we finished and have been banished. So actually, you the listener, if you go post on the discussion, the discourse for this podcast about the projects that you want us to like remove from the shadow realm remove or ones that you, we finished that we've forgotten about. There's tons of projects. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We still have some active ones that we're trying to. I'm my weld destroyer. I still have. Yeah, the weld destroyer. Still have that. But that's going. active. That is active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that, we call that purgatory. <laughs> Project purgatory. <laughs> yeah. I think we've gotten better at avoiding scope creep. Yeah, I've gotten really good at that too. Just at work as well. Hmm. Like setting up what the MVP is, you know? Mm, yeah. What does the bare minimal this thing needs to do for me to be happy with it, to actually get like, to use it and figure out what the deficiencies are? We had a whole episode about MVPs. Yeah, we did. Minimum viable product. I think that's a very important aspect of product development is coming up with what is the bare minimal to make your product a product. It is a skill. That's for sure. Yeah. And putting it out there for either you to use it or for someone else to use it. Yeah, because I just remember like Pinatar was definitely not that. That was like three years of development of hardware <laughs> to get it somewhere where because the scope was so big on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and but also before that, you had the other pinball hardware. Oh, the pin heck board. The pin heck board that had been yeah. around for years and that was on like Rev 9 or something like that. Yeah, I think we got the Rev 8 before we decided to Start from scratch. Yeah, because it had blown into a monstrosity. Yeah. And we, we basically actually re-architected everything. Everything was different on it, on Pinotar. Right. No through-hole MOSFETs. No through-hole MOSFETs. It's just connectors at that point. But it was also like, what's the easiest way to manufacture this? Because they got so expensive to build that board. And then that was the whole goal behind Pinotar was like, okay, what's the cheapest hardware that we could build in the States to make this work? Yeah, yeah. And still be feature rich. And still be feature rich. Yeah. So I just want to talk about like podcasts that we've done. Like, I think this is more like titles of podcasts that are hilarious to us still. And then kind of like thinking of what's in the future for projects. Mm, yeah. So the one that you posted here, the one they talked about football fields for a long time is probably one of my favorite images I ever made, like the, the image I make for the episode. But also the title is great. And we talked about 30, like for 30 minutes of that podcast episode about measuring things with like objects that aren't really measuring, like relative uh, measuring, I guess, is a good term to put it. Right, like, 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 it's a football field. It's like football field long, or two football fields long, or like, when do you scale? Or how many elephants does this thing weigh? Like, my truck is like two and a half elephants. Yeah, how many Eiffel Tower? No, Eiffel Tower. It's a uh, Empire State Buildings yep. because people know how tall that is. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we we also talked for a long time about the tolerance of a football field. And how our football yeah. fields actually marked out. And because there isn't a tolerance. No. And that's just, we spent a long time researching this, trying to figure out like, how was it actually done and where, okay. So the, the stripe that they actually paint on the field, is it measured to the edge, the other edge, the center? Like, how was it actually done? Yeah. And, and if you look at the official NFL rules, it just basically says it's X wide. It's X long, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, with markings, every blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I think this is why it's a similar thing in, in soccer or football is it's the same thing. Like a lot of football fields are different sizes. Same in baseball, actually. I just learned that the other day. Yeah. Baseball is a lot different, too. But yes. way, that's yeah. way different. 
Well, baseball is mostly the outfield. That's way different. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For for sure. I had some friends come and visit, and we actually did a tour of um, Coors Field out here where the Rockies play. And they were talking about you know this is one of the larger stadiums or fields, and it's sort of up to the city and the team the the field. But with football, football is they call it the game of inches, right? So like. Yeah. You have to be accurate in it, but like how? How accurate are they? I don't know. Yeah, and there's nothing in the rules saying like it needs to be a hundred yards plus or minus an inch. It just says a hundred yards. It's like, well, and well, and and <laughs> when the chain gang has to go out to measure if you if you 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 know the actual distance is like, is the chain a particular length? Oh, I for, I forgot about I, I have a flashback from the episode. What we want, we never got the funding to do this because like I was told no. To go buy one of those chains. <laughs> I wanted to buy different manufacturers chains for measuring. Yeah. And see if there was a tolerance difference in between them all. <laughs> chain gate. You 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 open yeah. that up. <laughs> I think we looked up and like the chains are like a couple hundred bucks and it ended up killing that idea oh, of buying yeah. a whole bunch of them. I don't know. That that was yeah, that was a fun one. If you've heard us since then, we have absolutely made jokes about measuring things in terms of football field lengths. Cuz usually football fields are they're in whole numbers or 1 plus a fraction of a football field. You never do like my, like sub fractions, like 0.5 football fields. 3 quarters of a football field? Yeah, 3 quarters. This this trace is one one thousandth of a football field wide. That's probably actually still a really big trace. <laughs> That's probably a really big trace. But the episode where we had uh, Colin Anderson on with Barry Based Physics, that was a great episode. That was really fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed having Colin on. And and Colin came on. I don't I don't think this was his intent, but he did come on to school us a little bit. And I think he totally did. Oh, yeah. And gave us he he confused us plenty, but gave us some really good uh, some really some really interesting insight to the fundamental physics behind basically how charges move. And this this was a little bit in reference to the Veritasium video about where does yeah, where does energy flow in uh, in wires or in circuits and. We talked about that. We had some other people talk about that. And then Colin was like, all y'all are wrong. Uh, let, me, <laughs> yeah. let me come on and talk to you guys about this. <laughs> that was fun. And then uh, don't let AI brew your beer. And this is actually, I think we're going to do this, is we're going to have AI come up with our recipes and we're just going to brew them verbatim. Okay. I did an experiment last night because... Okay, so we talked about this recently about, hey, that would be really fun to brew a recipe that AI came up with. So I did an experiment last night where I went to chat GPT and I said, design me a beer recipe. And it, it spit one out and it looked fine, right? So I was like, okay, cool, great. Design me another one. It spit another one out that was different, but not really. And then I started Ooh. thinking, I was like, huh, design me another one. And I did it a handful of times and every single one was different, but not really. So, so think of, uh, for those who don't know about beer brewing recipes, think let's, let's use cookies as an analogy. If you asked, give me a recipe for cookies. And it was always just like, use four cups of flour and a half a stick of butter. And then the next recipe is use 3.9 cups of flour and, <laughs> you know, yeah, a little yeah. bit more like it was always like the same the ingredients, ingredients 
it, it, basically it, it was always like eight pounds of of two row, one pound of crystal mart malt, and then the next one was like eight and a little bit of change to row and a little bit of crystal malt. It was, it was always given that. Now, will you tell it the style? No, I didn't. I just said, give me a beer recipe. So I when I was do doing the style. styles, it was giving me different recipes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think what we should do on this is with the new discourse is actually just have a thread on like, we'll make a beer recipe with AI and we will brew it and put the results. And then what we should do is, if it turns out terrible, because they're, they're going to be terrible, is <laughs> how do we tweak it to make it a good beer without it losing what the AI was trying to do? Yeah. Like the ratios and stuff. Well, I, I did notice in one of the recipes, it did something kind of funny where it, it, it listed out all the ingredients and then under yeast, it gave a very specific yeast. And then in parentheses, it then said... Or use any yeast you like. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> thanks. I <laughs> appreciate <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we should do that. That would be, it would actually be fun if we could get like, I don't know, 10 or 20 people together and have them taste it and just give their thoughts on it, on AI beer. Yeah, yeah. And we, we had a name for it. It's called Bit Beer. Right. Or maybe we can come up with something better with AI. Oh, well. That's for the next episode. To Circuit Break in episode 401. Let's do it. So that was the Circuit Break Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, Yes You Are listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at macrofab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our discourse. I think it's going to be circuit-break.macrofab.com. I'm going to need to get a shortener for that, like macrofab.com slash. I know macrofab.com slash Slack is going to forward to it. Maybe slash discourse discourse or something. Yeah. Later, everyone. See you all in episode 401.